Hi. You guys want some cookies? 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 From the new garage, the umlaut is a Motley Crue umlaut. It is. Not the new metal umlaut. Oh yeah, we're going old school umlaut. Old school umlaut, it's the throwback podcast, and this is our hair metal part one special. Rock rock of the 80s, subhead. Rock of the 80s. Maybe. Turn it up, Helix. Yes, 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 yes. Now, Dan, Dan, we're an American podcast, but this is a Canadian hair metal. How about <laughs> So we're reaching across the border. Off the album Walking the Razor's Edge. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we talk about it, Bob, all the time on this show, that this is a podcast for people born in exactly 1980. But for just one episode, we're going to be a little bit outside our, that comfort zone. Because I believe that uh, while we enjoyed... Many of the fruits and spoils of hair metal, uh, and it did spoil. We must, we must let people know that might not be aware that it did go poorly after a while. It did. Um, that there are people that are a little older than us that this was the soundtrack of their teens, uh, the way we talk about alternative rock. So while we were kind of uh, maybe a little late to the party, Bob, um, we still, it's still part of our uh, formative years, for sure. It is. This is this is the the music that built us as lads, as we lads in the '80s. This was the music that uh, I know my dad made like a mixtape that he had in his car that had a bunch of these songs. Really? Oh yeah, That's interesting. Yeah, and uh, you know, it was around at uh, county fairs, or not not even county fairs. The the scary carnival that came into town. Oh, it was playing. It was playing PA. in yeah, like yeah, the for PA. Sure, for sure. And I thought you were saying like Helix was playing at the Pearl River Carnival at Central Avenue Field. Likely were. Maybe yes. in 1995 or so. <laughs> they definitely were by 95. Um, but yeah, this was putting together a little uh, hair metal playlist took me back to being a kid. Like some of these songs that I put on here were my favorite songs in the world at some point in my childhood. Yeah, there is like a um, elemental feel to a lot of this because, and we've talked about it on the show that... I got into music a little later than Bob. It wasn't until I would say like 92, 93 that I really started listening to Z100 in New York, which is the pop radio station. Um, but still, there were certain things that were unavoidable, especially if, you know, your uncle, your older sister's watching MTV. Mm-hmm. And this was the, the, the songs we're going to listen to here. And it's a two parter. This one's going to be focusing on the, the rock oriented songs. And then part two will, will, share some of our favorite ballads because that became a very important port part of the formula of these bands. And I think led in a lot of ways led to the demise. Yeah. We're going the time life route here where we're just doing CD one, the rockers CD two for the ladies. Right. So uh, we'll go through it and uh, it will, it will 
bring memories back in a different way than I feel like it usually does on this show, Bob. And and we'll talk kind of like, you know, people always say, oh, it's Nirvana, Nirvana, Nirvana destroyed hair metal and, and made it a joke. I have a I have a take, Bob. Let's get into the first song. Yeah, I think we're going to disprove that today. Um, I don't know. If we're, okay. I'm going. That to. was not my take. I'm going to. That's another take. We hey, have multiple takes. Hey, Stephen Hyden and uh, Thomas Erlewine. Shut the fuck up. We're going to prove you wrong today. Yeah, here we go. By the way, it's Stephen Thomas. Too many Stevens. Too many Stevens. SDE. No. You know, I never, I never seen you look so good. You never act the way you should. But I. Talk Dirty to Me, single from the American Glam Metal. That was the preferred nomenclature. Glam. Yeah. Poison, released February 18th, 1987. The second single from their debut album, Look What the Cat Dragged In, peaked at number nine on the Billboard Hot 100. Their first top 40 hit in the States made them a big-time act. And here is the chorus that made it happen. Um, true story was just at the Super Bowl for my other job for my successful podcast not a humble brag just a brag keep going and I was asked if I wanted to interview Brett Michaels really lead singer of Poison and I better known as the star of Rock of Love (laughs) that's right we get to the VH1 of all this (laughs) as well Um, and I said no uh, because I felt a little uncomfortable with the idea but mostly because like Greg and Mark would have been there (laughs) <laughs> um, would I have loved to do a one-on-one sit-down with Brett? Of course you would. Uh, if only to talk about his Pittsburgh Steelers fandom. Uh, they are from Pittsburgh. They relocated to Los Angeles uh, and then became what they were. And L.A. is the epicenter of all this music in a lot of cases that we're going to talk about. Um, and Poison were one of those bands. No offense to you. I think you do a, a fine job at uh, the NFL. Okay. But I would much rather listen to Greg Rosenthal interview Brett Michaels. <laughs> that would be... Who are you? <laughs> yeah, when we were... Uh, th- that would have been a great interview, though. I mean, maybe we can get him on the throwback pod. I feel like he's an amazing throwback pod guest. He would be. Uh, if this was a real podcast, that yeah. would be a great get. <laughs> exactly. Um, I always thought, yeah, this... I love this song, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Th- so when we were making our playlist, this was the first one I put on it because I think that this is a legitimately great song regardless of the era. It sounds like the New York Dolls or the Replacements. It's just a great song. Brett Michaels, Ricky Rocket on drums, Bobby Dahl, <laughs> Bobby Dahl. Uh, on uh, bass, and CeCe DeVille, of course, on guitar. Got to know this band really well 
um, as a uh, teenager uh, from their Behind the Music special. Of course. And I think that Behind the Music had such a profound effect on these bands and this, this genre. It put a lot of money in these guys' pockets. Mm-hmm. It, it brought them back, not to their their height, um, but it did bring them rel- like a sense of relevance again. Um, and I thought it would be fun, Bob, in this episode uh, to hit a couple greatest hits off behind the music as well. Oh, great. Um, for instance, uh, the aforementioned C.C. DeVille, who I love, by the way. Brooklyn native, talks like a crazy man, um, kicked out of the band for his drug use. And um, this is one of the more famous lines from that episode. If you look at the window, you can see the curve of the earth from this house. And it was just the I mean, when you think of Hollywood successful glitz, shallow palace, that was the house. CeCe's big, beautiful house in a posh L.A. neighborhood (laughs) became a den of drug addiction. It was the house of whores, and then it became the house of horrors. (laughs) It's dark, 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 dark times. Very dark. I for that line, every one of those like kind of classic behind the music episodes, which were aired on a loop on VH1 in the late '90s and early 2000s, there are always certain lines that are embedded in my head. And uh, what started out as a house of whores turned into a house of horrors is definitely one that I love. Forever. See, I don't know if these are classic episodes or quotes, or I just think they are because you've been repeating them <laughs> ad nauseum for 20 years. That's it's certainly it's, it's certainly possible. Um, all right, before we go on, let me just, I'm going to play one more from the Behind the Music episode, just because it's one of the classics of the genre. I would say the Poison app. And Bobby Dahl, the aforementioned bass player, he's really chewing the scenery in that Behind the Music uh-huh. Oh, he That was his moment. Because he wasn't, uh, listen, he wasn't Brett Michaels. No. He wasn't CC. Mm-mm. He wasn't even Ricky Rocket. No, Ricky Rocket at least has a great name. Right, you know. But... He does have a way with one-liners in this episode. And he uh, had things to say about the sex tape between Brett and Pam. Personally, I think a tape of somebody f***ing Pam on Lee is pretty cool. So I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of or anything to be concerned about. He got the the ultimate bitch. What's the... Don't print that. <laughs> um, that's hardcore. Well, I think if something's going to come out like that, better her than some... Bobby fucking doll. <laughs> Once again, a line I've heard nonstop for 20 years. Don't know if everybody else has heard it, but Dan Hansis has said it. He got to fuck the ultimate We move on for Poison to another Behind the Music 
Hall of Famer, Motley Crue. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think we have two selections from the crew on this playlist, and this one was mine. Uh, Kickstart My Heart. I just think this is their best rock song. I mean, it is a rock song. Um, like one that transcends the genre a little bit. Like I could have gone, or we could have gone with Girls, 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 or whatever. But this one, I think, really does hold up, and uh, it's a great rocker that shows the band before uh, they went into decline at a high level. I'm glad neither of us went with girls, 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 because then that we would have sucks. to. Then we would just have to talk about the Seventh Vale and the Body Shop, and you know all the places you drive More places by that suck. on the Sunset Strip. Exactly. This is way better. Uh, this is off Doctor Feelgood, their 1989 album. Uh, did they have another big album after Feelgood? I don't know if they I don't did. think so. Uh, I think things got a little went sideways. I'm sure if you asked a real that. crew head, they would tell you, "Oh yeah, they did. In '92, they had their best album ever." That. Right, there's always that. Right, there's always that guy. Um, and that's also a part, part of those behind the music. So they also they always have to end, no matter where the band is in their career, and it usually was it a, a band that's peak is long since passed. Um, they were on the rebound. Always. Always on the rebound. Always just like a minute away from their next big hit. This is a great part. Very good. Here's here's how you know that Motley Crue is not just a you know big successful hit band, but a really interesting band. When you go to their Wikipedia and you look at the subheads under history, yeah. So eighty one, eighty three, early history, fine. Eighty three to ninety one. The subhead, international fame and addiction struggles. There you go. So that makes the subhead. Then 92 to 2003, years of turmoil. <laughs> so, I mean. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that's, that's apt for them. They, and this song, this refers to uh, Nikki Six's heroin overdose, which he, in that Behind the Music episode, he, he speaks of it. Um, it's almost like you could imagine his heart on as he's talking about his story of his uh, overdose and being brought back to life and being above his body. No one was romanticizing their overdose more right. in the history of rock music than Nikki Six. That's it was, very true. He was describing it as the coolest thing that had ever happened. <laughs> but also from a distance, I, uh, man, the sheet was over me and I had two needles stick out of each side of my chest like... You're so fucking full of shit. <laughs> you didn't see any of that. No, he saw it, dude. I believe him. I believe Nikki Six. <laughs> the Dirt is such a good book. Yes. If you care at all about this genre or just like a good, like, nasty little rock um, memoir, I don't think you could do better uh, than The Dirt. Uh, I think it's Neil Strauss. It was, Stone. yeah. Uh, it is a filthy book. Filthy book. One of the only books in my house that I've since hidden. So like Dean doesn't just pick it up and start thumbing through it. Yeah, there are things in that book. And I know what happened to um, Steven Tyler of Aerosmith um, somewhat recently where he wrote something in his memoir about a girl that he nearly married. And then it turned out she was underage. And he even alluded he to knew that. that. No, he knew she was underage. Right. Uh, he didn't say, you know, explicitly what year she was born and what her age was, but that just she was very young. No, in the book, it's it's kind of like, yeah, she was this young girl. Yeah. I got her in the back of my car. We drove around so the country. Young. Her parents hated me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and Whoopsie. then, that, and then it, now the woman is in her fifties, and she sued him, uh, you know, for doing and, things and that she's been doing with the girl, and that's evidence. Uh, that book, that Motley Crue book, is rife with evidence. Never saw the Netflix, I think, uh, ver- oh, movie so version bad. of it. I never c- did that because I don't want bad. to. It was bad. It was bad. And I also hated. Uh, I only got like a couple of episodes into the Pam and Tommy thing on Hulu. Before I was like, this is bad too. Yeah, I grinded through that. Uh, that wasn't very good either. Yeah. So, I, so Motley Crue, great band, uh, interesting '80s band. Let's stop turning things into movies from them. It's not working. Yeah, but uh, you understand why they do it um, because they have such a crazy story. Oh yeah, like there's going to be a Vince Neil uh, driving movie soon, I'm sure. And because I'm not evil, I'm not going to play. I am evil, but I I'm not going to play the the more viral moments of Motley Crue in the modern times where Vince Neil is very old and bloated and um, not making any sense when he sings. Have you heard any of these or seen any of these videos, Bob? No. Oh, it's not It's good. bad. It sounds like uh, like a dying cat that inhaled helium and then sang Kickstart My Heart. They should do the thing where they uh, kind of like how John Mayer stepped in for Jerry Garcia, but they should get the guy from Puddle of Mud to step in. <laughs> That would be great. Is this the Rolling Stones? Is it the Rolling Stones? Is it the Black Crows? What is this? Oh, I know. It's my favorite song from 1980-something or other. Big build up. It's a coming cover, soon. by the way, Ian Hunter. Yes, the yeah. original, uh, the originator of "Once Bitten, Twice Shy" by Great White, who, unfortunately, by the way, Wikipedia once again calling them a glam metal act. Uh-huh. We do not use hair metal. Interesting within the genre. Well, I guess yeah, hair pejorative. metal. Yeah, exactly. I had this cassette single, the "Once Bitten, Twice Shy" cassette single, and I was only allowed to listen to the A side. Via my dad. Here we go. Remember this video? Kinda. One of the great uh, '80s hair metal babes, uh, Bobby Brown. Yes. I think also was in. Cherry Pie. Yep. Uh, by Warren uh, is in the video. She's also, I think her legs are on the album cover. So your dad, this is interesting to me. I didn't know this. So like my dad, I think by the 80s, he was aware of popular music, especially stuff that was big and, and you know, mainstream. Yeah. Um, but like he wasn't plugged in on the hair metal scene or, or really kind of on the cutting edge of what was being played on the radio. He was very much into the 70s rock of his youth, I think, for the most part. 
Uh, but your dad was into the scene. <laughs> My dad was just going down the sunset. He, he was at the Roxy. <laughs> uh, no, he liked, I mean, he was a big ACDC fan. He liked ACDC and Leonard Skinner. Okay. So it makes sense that this song kind of checks both those boxes in a weird way. Yeah, ACDC is definitely not a hair metal band, but like they're but, one of the bands. Um, Ozzy is another one. Uh, Led Zeppelin's another one that all these bands are really obviously um, indebted to. Yeah, and this one is definitely the, from, really. that more sort of southern rock style. You know, it's got the uh, the piano in there, which like a lot of hair metal doesn't have. And uh, yeah, I just love this song. But so I had the cassette single with an '80s babe with you know big blonde hair on the cover. And on the back, there were a couple of songs that my dad was like, "You're not allowed to flip the cassette over because the songs on the other side are inappropriate." And I'm, I was such a good kid, I never did. And then <laughs> years later, I uh, once Napster came around, I was like, what were those songs I wasn't allowed to listen to? And I checked them out. And I think the one that he was uh, didn't want me to hear at nine years old was called Wasted Rock Ranger. And it's, it's like a kind of like jaunty, like kind of novelty song type thing. But it's all about like doing coke and fucking groupies. Well, the tricky thing is that Once Bitten, Twice Shy was on side B. And Wasted Rock Ranger was the next track, the closer of <laughs> the album. So, you know. Well, was that on the album? Because I only had the single. Oh, you had the single. Yeah. Okay. So they yeah. <laughs> Wasted Rock Ranger. It might make sense to uh, check out the lyrics of Wasted Rock Ranger. Um, oh, it's tame by, like, compared to what is out there now. Yeah, it's but for your dad bad. to have that level of a reaction to it. Well, my dad also, like, you know, the first time I saw Lethal Weapon, he made sure to fast forward past the boobs in the very beginning. But I think like Police Academy, we were able to just watch all the way through. So, yeah, yeah he had the parent filter on, but not all the way on. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at these um, these lyrics. I could see why, put it this way, I could see why your dad might have an issue. Um, yeah. I'll share some of them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we're doing the classical music. I have Benny's with the breakfast toast. Quaaludes with the evening roast. Assorted snorts of powder in between. I don't think a day's gone by that I wasn't drunk or high. It's the only way I keep my sanity. Okay, I get well, it. He did. He did it's well. Good dad work. I never became a uh, pill head or a big coke addict. So I can it all confirm worked. that. Yes. I can confirm that. And, and sadly, Bob, if you, if you want to go, I, you know, it's not for the the meek of heart. But if you ever go to the uh, white, great white uh, Wikipedia page, there's about half of it that is about their career. <laughs> there's actually stuff about music still on there. Uh, yes, and then a very, very unfortunate. Uh, club fire incident in the early 2000s where a lot of people died and the band was primarily responsible due to a pyrotechnics malfunction not good not good not good but we remember uh we're remembering today their imperial period bob <laughs> not yeah there we go you know what i gotta get that right bob you gotta get the beginning yeah you do of you owe it to bond song. right bond He's John, Bob. Shot through the heart, and you're too late, darling. You give love a bad name. Boom! 
Um, <laughs> so this is like, uh, I don't even have to look it up. I'm sure one of the co-writers of the song is the same co-writer that did a bunch of those Aerosmith songs where I'm the sure. chorus starts the song, yeah. which at some point was deemed a surefire method for a hit. Uh, here's You Give Love a Bad Name. Yes, Bon Jovi. Speaking of imperial period, this is slippery when wet era of Bon Jovi. And this is, I always thought it was Shot Through the Heart was the name of the song, but it's You Give Love a Bad Name. And yes, Desmond Childs is a co-writer of the song with Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora. Uh, He also wrote on Living on a Prayer, which we could easily put on this, but we all just need a break from Living on a Prayer. Exactly. Bad Medicine. uh, And also on Aerosmith's Dude Looks Like a Lady, Angel, What It Takes. Crazy, unbelievable. That guy's got a lot of money. What came first, this one or Living on a Prayer? Uh, good question. Um, I will let you know the uh, single order. It is. It's important to me. It is. Uh, this is the lead single from uh, Slippery When Wet, released July 23rd, 1986. Can you imagine the Jersey Shore when this song hits? Oh, in so July. many toads loving it. You want to hear? I love how self-conscious Bon Jovi is. <laughs> the name of their box set, remember? Yes. A hundred million Bon Jovi fans can't be wrong. <laughs> um, the, here is the single rundown. Now you could love or hate Bon Jovi, uh, but you cannot deny this one, two, three, four punch combination off this album. This song, "Living on a Prayer," released on Halloween '86. "Wanted Dead or Alive," released March second, '87. And then the following summer, they knocked out another ballad, Never Say Goodbye, wow. and ruled the summer of 87. When your album, we've talked about this before, yep. when your album can own two summers, yeah. you've done it they right. They were the Alanis Morissettes of the 80s. They did it. Yeah, with respect to the crew and Poison, this is the soundtrack. Of, this is the real soundtrack of the 80s. Like this song right here, and it's living on a prayer. This was, this was it. This was like the hair metal that crossed over into mainstream in a way like way further than anything else right because I mean, he was handsome well that they had the whole package whole package uh, and the music is good and and i know like if you, if you ever do the do some digging they are in the rock and roll hall of fame uh but bon jovi basically uh campaigned on a um highly aggressive like putin level aggression to get into the hall of fame <laughs> and uh had a a long-running feud with Jan Winner of Rolling Stone, who essentially is the kingmaker of the Hall of Fame. He started it uh, of Rolling Stone. Um, they finally did get in, and uh, but you know, a hundred million Bon Jovi fans can be wrong. They're not a rock and roll Hall of Fame band, but it doesn't mean they're not one of the most memorable bands of the era, or had a bunch of great songs. I'm not going to get into a are they a rock and roll Hall of Fame band conversation with anybody. All right, because it's the dumbest thing ever. 
but they, I mean, I think they are because of their impact, but I think they also have the best PR team of any band ever. Oh my God. The fact that whenever you mention Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi's the next Shows name up. that comes up. Hey, hey guys. How did you, how did they get in? How did he make it into the conversation? He just like pops up from behind a bush. Yeah. Hi guys. Hey, me too. Me too. New me Jersey too. rocker. And now we just accept it. Now we just say it. Yeah. I, I like Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi. It's like, he did it. They had a, um, there behind the music was also a classic of the genre. Uh, to the point that for one a Christmas one year, my uncle John, who grew up with this music, um, got me like remember back in the two thousands if you like early two thousands if you had some piece of uh, media or pop culture ephemera that wasn't you couldn't access everything mm-hmm. but you could find it on eBay or something right. like a burned copy. He sent me a burned copy of the of Bon Jovi behind the music uh, that I have to this day, and we always used to get a kick out of. Um, bon Jovi, how how kind of calculated everything was with Bon Jovi. Right, it's part of the reason for the success. But it, and that behind the music episode, it comes off scripted at times. Where and it, I think it's not a coincidence that the, the Sopranos was huge at the time. Mm-hmm. They re, they refer to the band as the organization, as a family, as you don't talk outside of the family. Right, uh, repeatedly. And then there's a passage in the episode about when they have to fire. Their bass player, Alec Van Such, mm-hmm. um, because he t- spoke to a music magazine. Uh, and uh, here is Bon Jovi at his most humble and also real talking about that. It's a shame because none of us see him anymore. None of us talk to him anymore. But uh, I think of him a lot. You do not think of Alec Van Such, <laughs> the bassist you fired ever. You phony. <laughs> I love that line. And if you watch the video, he like kind of leans back in his chair and he's like, I think about him a lot. Of course he does. You know, even though we had to kick him out of the organization, <laughs> even though we had to kick him out of the organization, I do think about him. Hall of Famer though, Bob. Can't Hall of Famer. I'm not taking it away from him. that you put on two songs in a row that are covers. I was aware of that. Yeah. So you think my singing's out of time It makes me money I think this is the perfect hair metal song. It is in a lot of ways. And it comes that when they say, oh, we're not hair metal, we're glam metal. Slade was the originator of the song. They wrote the song. And this is kind of like a, a fate, like a faithful adaption uh, and a natural lineage point here that they, they did bring it into the next decade. This feels like glam rock to me. Yeah, for sure. And Quiet Riot, uh, they had a couple of great like hair metal songs in the 80s. I almost went with the other one, Bang Your Head. Good one, yeah. That's another good one. But this one, I mean, not only was it covered by Oasis many years later yes, for an amazing cover, but this one takes baby, me baby, back. Baby. This one definitely takes me back to the 80s. And uh, I love how insecure he is. 
but he's like okay with it where he's like you say I have an ugly face I don't care <laughs> you say like my, I sing out of tune I don't, I don't care but you know he cares he does it's the most insecure hair metal song ever uh, great album title not mental health metal health and it's a man in a straitjacket and a Hannibal Lecter mask on the cover and I think this it's important Bob that we share in you know honor that is a rejoinder to that kind of uh, I'm a little rough around the edges the spelling of the song. Cum, yeah. C-U-M. They went with C-U-M. Noise. N-O-I-Z-E. See? That's pretty cool. Gotta respect it. Gotta respect it. Noodling. Big part of 80s rock. There are a few of these songs where when you listen to it, if you imagine any other era that the song could exist what it would sound like like minus the noodling or the 80s production and I think a lot of these songs could transcend but some of them are just perfectly 80s and they came out at the exact right time and I know this is a cover but I think this is like a perfect hair metal song um yeah I'm with you on that and I really like that song I, I mentioned Desmond Child has a huge figure in the 80s um this band became a huge figure in the 80s. And I want to talk about, Bob, where they where they fit in in the uh, glam slash hair metal yeah, yeah. from the minute. Here we go. It's a good one. There's that chorus starting out again. It's all fine. I never see you leaving by the back door. Man, hot time. Get it while it's easy. I don't mind. Come on over, see me. Rag doll. Baby, won't you do me like you done before? I'm feeling like a bad boy. But just like a bad boy. All right, so this is Rag Doll by Aerosmith off their comeback record, Permanent Vacation, released 1987. They had another massive album right after that, uh, Pump, in 89. Mm-hmm. And so everyone knows that knows rock music. Aerosmith was huge in the 70s. And then drug addiction and changing music led to them being completely washed up. And then they reappear. And uh, I would say, Bob, that you could say, well, Aerosmith shouldn't be here because, you know, these other bands are indebted to them. But the, a big reason for Aerosmith's revitalization was they were like oh there's a movement we're going to become part of it we're going to hire the songwriters Mm -hmm. to help make it popular and basically become to their credit like a a better version of what one of the many of those bands are trying to do so while they're not a quote hair metal band they definitely jumped on the trend and they're part of that scene absolutely yeah they deserve they deserve to be in here they deserve they've earned a spot in the throwback podcast episode but do they? Do you think it's um, a negative uh, that they kind of jumped into the scene in this way? Are you are you okay with the speaking of like calculated ways to present yourself? Oh no, I'm okay with it. I mean, I was looking at Aerosmith to put on, and Kiss was another one where I was like, do they count as hair metal? And I stumbled upon the song they had in like 1990 that was co-written by Michael Bolton. <laughs> so it's like they were all just kind of figuring out like, hey, I started this shit. How do I actually profit right. off of it now? So I don't fault Aerosmith at all for kind of handling things the way they did. 
And this is a great song. I love this song. Yeah, this has got a good like bluesy Stones vibe to it. Yep. I I always like this one. And like some of them, you know, there's some. I hated dude looks like a lady. Yeah, I wasn't Still big into do. that. I don't like love they, in an elevator. I'm not the biggest fan of. Kind of like that one. Like Angel was sappy and shitty to me. That that ballad. Oh, that's a good song. That's a good song. Really? Yeah, Angel's good. Is that going to come up in our? I don't know. Up? I don't know. I forgot what I did. But yeah. I'll get crazy on the moonshine. Yes, I'm moving. I'm ready, moving. Where do you come down on like um, being at peace? At peace, one to ten, with um, what's going to happen to you when you get old. Because, like, as an example, um, I saw Joe Namath at uh, NFL Honors uh-huh. at the Super Bowl weekend, and he's got the like gigantic old man ears now. Yeah, where they're just like the size of like a tarp during a rain delay at a stadium, <laughs> a baseball stadium. Uh, if you see Steven Tyler, I know he's not in great health now. He. He's kind of got also Paul McCartney. He's got a similar vibe where like they're looking more and more like an old woman. Yeah. Are you I don't think I'm ever going to look like an old woman. Maybe the giant ears. You're going to get either hit with the giant ears, yeah. old man, where they grow and triple in size, or, d- or you're going to lose any masculinity to your face or features. I think it's going to be the former. I think it's going to be the giant ears with the hair coming out of the inside of the ears. Oh, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to control that. I think just like droopy face. Craggy Craggy motherfucker. Craggy motherfucker. And um, yeah, just like hunched over. I can see that. I can see like bad. A fucking hunchback. Bad posture. Yeah. I think that's my future. I, You know what? I would take that. I, I, okay, I, over like being a female elderly version of myself. I mean, you do have some feminine features. So I could see, oof, I could see you hurt. kind of going the Paul McCartney. That way. one landed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know what? Uh, hey, you know what, Bob? Just, just reaching old age. I'd sign off on that. Wow. 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 High road, bitch. Way to take the fucking high road on that one. Nailed you. Hey, the era of um, <laughs> hair metal was not kind to women. True story. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, we're not here to cancel people, but I just want to make it clear. Uh, it probably was a weird time to grow up as a, a young woman or girl, like watching what was going on on MTV. I'm sure it was fine if you had a nice <laughs> long butt and big blonde hair. As long as that butt was about a foot and a half long, <laughs> you were, you fine. were totally covered. <laughs> Um, you basically most songs were about um, banging girls um, or uh, just like the videos featured girls dancing or you know get a piece of cherry pie uh, sitting in their lap. It was a strange time and not particularly progressive. That's why Bob, you and I both picked this song. It shows that we are champions of the feminine movement yeah. and we were ahead of our time. Yes. Song. Great song. Um, 
Ford, of course, of the Runaways, the all-female punk rock band of the 70s. Joan Jett was in that band, too. Here's the chorus. Yeah, so, like, it's kind of cool. Like, Lita Ford talking about she was trying to get laid, had a few beers, got high. This really wasn't a thing uh, in the music scene. If you were a a popular woman uh, singing music back then, you were either, like, Madonna. Right. Maybe you snuck in there, the Bengals or something, Debbie Gibson. Quirky and weird, like Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper. But was there anyone else in this genre that comes to mind. Not really. No, and it's interesting because when we, you know, we were finding our songs, I put this one on, and then I started. I asked uh, my friend Google, "Is Joan Jett hair metal?" You've heard of Google as your friend. Yeah, now. yeah. That's, I asked it. That's an old man thing. That's I asked post-modern. it. I asked it. Uh, is Joan Jett hair metal? Because like I like a lot of Joan Jett songs, and uh, nah. it was a definitive no. Nah. But Lita Ford is. This is. Even though I think Joan Jett has songs that are kind of just as hard quote-unquote as this one but yeah she doesn't fall into the right category well she apparently what part of the reason the runaways broke up is that joan jett joined and was like we're doing a punk rock sound right and other members of the band were like no we like doing a more rock oriented sound yeah yeah so we, we could see where lita uh came down um and i don't really know any other songs by lita ford no actually. i don't know either and i i know speaking of the way women were treated though when you go to the um YouTube page and you watch the video and you scroll down, every comment is from dudes who are seven years older than us yeah. saying, oh man, this oh, video yeah. got me through the 80s. Oh yeah, this one is in the spank bank. <laughs> it's like, okay, I don't know if that was the, I don't know if that's what everybody was going for, but. <laughs> Great. So. Hook, hooks for days, that song. Hooks for days. While we're on this subject, though, I think many, many episodes ago when we talked about our uh, our sexual awakenings. Yes. Oh, right. I can't remember what I actually credited it, but I think I realized afterwards it was like the Kelly Bundy sort of thing that right. got, that woke me up. Sure. And as we it were doing- stirred something inside your loins. Right. Yeah. Uh, dumb blonde, bimbo-y, yeah. 80s. Maybe it was the Aerosmith video, fittingly, with yep. Alicia Silverstone uh, hailing that plane <laughs> on the highway <laughs> the leg coming out so as we were uh, finding our songs i remembered something else from the era i just sent you the link to it so we we had illegal cable back- am i clicking on this bob what do you want me to do I want, this in, this, in a minute i want you to click on it and play it okay so we had the uh illegal pay-per-view like everybody else in, else in our Shut town fuck up, i think is the statute of limitations up i don't think so <laughs> and there was a thing that they played on Do you know statue of limitations? Like everyone thinks they're clear, but it never it's is. It's a moving target. There's always like a there's always some sort of loophole where it's like, oh, actually, in this case, no. It's like, Fuck you. <laughs> there needs to be a clear. Like it used to be like, hey, everybody, ain't no statue of limitations on murder. Yep. It's like, all right, that makes sense. Makes sense. And now it's like all these other cases are coming around. It's like. What the fuck are the statues of limitations for real? I need a listing. I haven't heard you this upset since your uh, age of consent argument. Same thing. Anyway, um, so one of the things on pay-per-view was a late night video compilation called Rock Video Girls. Right. That was on, it came out in like 1991 or whatever. And Rock I remember seeing the previews for it, just like the commercials and being like, oh my God, mm-hmm. this looks awesome. And uh, it's on YouTube. 
and I was able to find it now as an adult. And uh, you just got to click on it. All right, let's let's. let's <laughs> so this is this is the full special that they would play. Yeah, it's like oh, all... your dad did not want you. See oh no, this. I wasn't allowed to see this at all. When I did the first David Lee Roth one, I was like, "This is cool. This is for me. I can see my future in music videos." <laughs> You've seen them in videos by Rat, Aerosmith, Slaughter, David Lee Roth, and others. They're the fantasy women who climb the charts with the stars, the rock video girls. Now, for the first time, find out what really goes on behind the scenes in the making of a rock video. See what happens before the makeup goes on and after the cameras go off. They fuck. <laughs> I mean, obviously. Wow. Yeah. So what, I, see, I totally missed this. Where was this being played? It was on pay-per-view request at like oh, midnight. Oh, 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 the old midnight turnover. Yep. This was not connected to the Spice Channel. No, this was straight request. <laughs> and I remember just being like, I need to stay up till midnight. I just want to see like a minute of this thing. Was it ever on uh, Channel 98 request two where it would just repeat? <laughs> no, the never, evening? never. I would have would have loved that. <laughs> But uh, it's it's a lot of girls in like see-through white t-shirts and you know kind of '80s outfits and I mean that was that was all I needed in 1991, 1992. Um, I'm going to watch that as soon as this episode is over. And, <laughs> Thank uh, you for the restraint. Is, waiting is Tony Katane in the in the special? Oh no no Bobby they didn't Brown. get they didn't get any A-listers. They got they got the B team. Two songs here, yeah. So we're gonna start a little double header of Death Leopard. Nice, here, starting with 1984's Photograph. Listen to this chorus. This bitch soars. And let's fast forward to their credit. I believe eight years, Bob. To Let's Get Rock. Let's Get Rock. Off the Adrenalize. <laughs> I love their album titles. <laughs> they really, uh, they had a theme. I could so picture 12-year-old Bob being like, hair metal ain't dead. Fucking we still, still here still now. Still kicking, baby. I think it takes a minute to get to the chorus on this one. This sounds like a worse version of their like previous singles. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, here we are in the 90s now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 
Here it comes. Here comes the big ass chorus. Number one hit, 1992. Like Billboard, number one? The song peaked at number one on the Billboard album Rock Tracks chart. All right, so I, I would say, Bob, and Number this 15 is, on the Hot 100. This is your, all right, so that that's important to know, Bob. Fucking liar. <laughs> no, you know. Um, this, I guess, would be your case, Bob, for that for, hair metal or glam metal was not dead post-Nirvana. Yeah, there's you know the narrative that there was a tidal wave and everything was wiped away immediately. There were still, in in Nikki Six terms, there was still some uh, life in that body. There were like there's like that was kicking dolphins, a little bit. There were dolphins washed up on the shore that were trembling and taking their final like breaths. That would be this, this. Yeah, it was still there. But that's that's not exactly a <laughs> ringing endorsement. Well, but I guess Aerosmith's sound changed also. But you played some Aerosmith. They were there. They they stuck around in the nineties. But see, they were an outlier, I thought, you know, that they were basically, even like when you listen to, because we did get a grip, right? When you listen to those ballads, yeah. they don't sound like 80s songs. They just, oh, Bob wants more of the chorus. I'm getting rocked. Like, I don't, I don't hate on you, Bob, um, because we don't really need to hear Pour Some Sugar on Me again, either. Right. But that's a superior song. Way superior. And there was a part of me that was like, I should put that on there. But this one I remember really liking at 12 years old. Um, and they had a, a total panic attack um, <laughs> when Nirvana and everything hit. Right. And then their their next album after this was called, I remember it was in that Behind the Music, they talked of it as if it was Abbey Road. They're like, we put out a new album called Slang. And it's a total departure for the band. Yeah, and yeah. it sold like 14 Exactly. <laughs> Do you have a Def Leppard soundbite ready to go? Because I know exactly which one you would pick if you did. Uh, <laughs> well, I do, but I don't know if it's the one that you were thinking. Okay. All right, let's see. I'll, I'll take it. All right, I want to hear your guess. No, I want to hear it first, and then if it's not that, I'll try to find it real quick. All right. <laughs> so let me just preface this by saying that um, the drummer they said that. The drummer of Def Leppard lost his it's arm. The one, it's the exact one that I knew you were going to pick. But it's not the line I picked, I, I used for this, Bob. Okay. Because I thought he said it. Uh, I thought the drummer, the drummer was in a car accident on New Year's <laughs> Eve in 1984. The fucking drummer. Right. And he lost his arm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I always thought, as I remembered it, having watched it many times, uh, he's on camera in a very stoic way in his um, behind the music sit down and he goes, I'm a drummer. Oh, the first thing I thought to myself was I'm a drummer and me lost me arm. <laughs> so many me's. <laughs> it's not funny, but it is. Uh, but here is along the lines of that tragedy. He said, uh, Rick's had a car crash. He's lost his arm. Now this is not in the agenda. This <laughs> not in the agenda. No, this is not in me agenda. That was Joe Elliott. And bleach blonde hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, Def Leppard. Maybe they had the last hair metal hit. Maybe that's what that song is. Maybe that is, yeah. Maybe that's important. 
in a lot of ways. Um, and, that, and that led to the Bloodhound Gang having that song where the guy yells, the drummer of Def Leppard only has one arm, like over and over again. For you, for you Bloodhound Gang fans out there. I hate that band. <laughs> do you? I do. You have I, a strong opinion? I, I didn't think I did. And then like for, for whatever reason, I had a visceral reaction to you saying that. <laughs> um, I'm going to play. Here's, this is going to be controversial, Bob. Uh, because I don't believe this band to be hair metal. But I believed for one single, they dipped into hair metal and wrote arguably the best hair metal song of all time. Okay. Yeah. This counts. I mean, everything about the song is of the era. Drums. Yep. Uh, The chorus is certainly in line with the ethos of the era. Yep. Just listen So, I consulted my brother. As, as, as you should have, yes. Yes, a rabid Guns N' Roses fan for years on whether it was appropriate to have Paradise City on a playlist like this. And he, he agreed that, uh, that this song kind of fit the mold. He also correctly pointed out that Guns N' Roses kind of transcended uh, that genre and even as recently as their follow-up album had lyrics taking shots at the sunset scene and Motley Crue. Um, so they were separate. But this song just feels like a natural fit with what we're talking about today. I agree. And they are. I mean, they're part of the world. This is it. And yeah, I think uh, I think he also pointed out, my brother, that the first single uh, off Appetite for Destruction, which is one of the biggest albums of all time, came out in '87. Um, if you watch Welcome to the Jungle, the video, his hair, Axel's hair, is all teased out. It's basically in the mold of all those guys at the time, right? And then they quickly realized, oh, we don't need to do that shit. And very quickly, you saw Axel with the straight long hair and the bandana and. Yeah. The Axel that you knew, uh, but they were born in that world. Like it's yeah. funny, like having living in L.A., Bob. Like I actually have more um, sympathy for a lot of these bands um, and these guys having lived here. Imagine like being like a 24 year old musician, at being part of that scene, and maybe you're from this area. You probably wouldn't be making the greatest decisions either. And you, I would hope not. You could be, be so easily misled by record right. executives uh, telling you to make certain albums or certain types of songs, and you might do drugs that you probably shouldn't be doing, and you might be doing things with women that maybe you shouldn't be doing. Like these, these guys were probably not like built for this. Yeah, for good decision making. But that was part of what made the the genre so popular. Is like the guys are basically out of control animals. Well, every like era of music has like the thing that everybody's kind of striving for, and like, you know, in the '90s, it was like being like above it all, like the grunge movement. Everybody was like, "I'm above it all." Or in like, uh, you know, hip hop, it became like having the most money and whatever. In the '80s, it was just being cool, 
And like the way that these people wanted to show they were cool was like, I could drink more than you. I could do more drugs than you. I could fuck more women than you. And they were all kind of striving for the same thing, competing with each other and making good music and terrible decisions. And that's how a house of horrors became yep. a house of horrors. There you go. Um, all right. I think we should do one more. I want to do the song that I think played a big role in the end of the genre. Cause I think it was like a song that, uh, basically, uh, hit the tropes of hair metal so hard that it, it was able to be a big hit. And I mm -hmm. think it was about 91. The song was a huge hit, but it also, especially in concert with the video, um, made the whole genre look so silly and overdone and played out. I'm referring to Cherry Pie by Warrant Bob. Yeah, you got it. You can't do this episode without doing this. And before we get into the song, I do want you to hear uh, the late singer, lead singer and songwriter of Warrant, Jerry Lane. Is that his name? His name Jerry Lane Bob. That sounds really right to me. I hope it's right because that would be disrespectful for it not to be his name. Yeah, you did it. I got it. All right, good. Um, he is a man that uh, is no longer with us. Janie Lane. Jamie Lane. I know. I just saw that. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah, he's no longer with us. Uh, Cherry Pie. That Warren was. If you talk to some people and read about that scene, they were better than Cherry Pie. Uh, wasn't necessarily uh, indicative of who they were, but there was pressure, again, that's a theme, from the record label uh, to create a certain type of music, and, uh, and it ended up um, on his tombstone. Maybe not literally, but figuratively. And Donnie and I rolled up and said, I don't hear the single. You got to give me a single like Love in an Elevator. I need something like that. So that night I wrote Cherry Pie sent it to him he lived with it over the weekend and all of a sudden the album's called cherry pie the record's called cherry pie i'm doing cherry pie eating contests the singles cherry pie right if i'm lying i'm dying and my legacy's cherry pie everything about me is cherry pie i'm a cherry pie guy i could shoot myself in the head for writing that song. Okay. Yikes. And with that said. What what room number is the patient in? Uh room one. Anyway, that's kind of a sad uh, quote, obviously. Well, I, I think uh, Rob Harvilla did uh, 60 songs that explain the 90s, where this was part of like the big lead-up to something, ah. if I remember correctly. And uh, Janie Lane had since, like after that interview, kind of walked back a little bit. Right. He was like particularly down that day. So he came back where he's like, no, I mean, I still wish I didn't write it, but uh, also it's given me great things. Yeah, well, that, that makes sense. I yeah, I think about like, and this was a, a huge hit uh, right at the turn of the 90s um, before 
Nirvana and everything. Um, I here's my take, Bob, on what happened here. I do think like this song, although there's nothing wrong with it, especially in relation to all these other songs. Right. In a lot of cases, um, they're all of a piece of cherry pie. Okay. Uh, but there was something about that video. Yes. Uh, with, um, what was her name? Bobby Brown. Right? Bobby Brown. Yep. And like I said, the, the cherry pie dropping onto her lap. And then the, remember the, the Jenny, Janie Lane face, like the big smile. Yeah, the, the cartoony like, smile. cartoony smile thing uh, with the white background. It all felt really tacky and cheesy. So when Smells Like Teen Spirit came out, it really did feel like that this song and video was like the avatar for all this shit. He's also got the hat with the brim flipped up too. So super, yeah. super 80s into 90s. However, my take, Bob, it was more than just the scene starting to play itself out and just repeating itself. I think Beavis and Butthead played a role as well. Oh, for sure. Beavis and Butthead. Um, Beavis wore, I believe, the ACDC shirt. And one wore Metallica, one wore ACDC. Yes. Uh, and... They were arbiters of like cool what what was wuss as they would say and what was cool rock, and if you were when that show hit when we were twelve thirteen, um, they would play all these songs and in yeah. many cases I think this song was almost certainly played. They would just destroy these bands yeah and said everything that was played out and that was obviously Mike Judge uh, kind of revolting against that music and then the newer songs and the a lot of the grunge songs would get much fairer treatment. And I think for like impressionable young preteen minds like us, Bob, that played a role as well. And like that stuff's lame and, and out and this newer sound is in. Beavis and Butthead, Bob. Mike yep. Judge. I thought about He's them. Done it again. Thought about them more than once, especially for our next episode, the Power Ballad episode. Yes. I remembered immediately just moments of Beavis and Butthead just saying, this sucks. What about the kid that wore the winger shirt? Oh, 100%. Stuart. Yep. Stuart. Yeah, like you just knew as a teenager, like, oh, winger's lame now. Not that they weren't lame before, but now you know for a fact. Right, he wore a winger shirt. <laughs> All right, there we go. That is our playlist of favorite uh, or most notorious hair metal rockers. Of yeah. Like, it was like 84 to 92. That feels like that covers the whole gamut. Um, we do have to pick a song, Bob. For the Throwback Podcast playlist. And as we always do, before we do that, we're going to thank our Patreonies for making this happen over at patreon.com slash throwbackpod. Thank you guys for kicking in and uh, keeping the dream alive, letting us explore the 80s in a way that only Dan Hansis and Bob Castrone can. Wow. So well put, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you to our top tier Patreonies. Courtney and Wyatt. Unbelievable supporters of the show. Happy birthday, Courtney. Uh, also, let's thank the one and only Bruno, the sponsor. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Bruno. Hope you're doing well. I mean, the chances that this is getting to him are very slim, but <laughs> in the event they do. Yes, buddy. Of course. Thank you to my and Matthew, who Dan, I think we, uh, he... How about he, that Fraser reboot, Bob, that's coming our way? Coming your way, not coming my way. He's back. He's back. I like how, like, uh, David Hyde Pierce was like, no, fuck you. Oh, loser. Pierce said no? Pierce is out. Well, what's Pierce doing? Not that. Something better. Pierce owes it to uh, our friend. What friend? You know, our buddy. I don't have any buddies. I don't have any buddies over there. <laughs> Kelsey. 
I'm excited to see this thing just fucking tank. Well, see, it's not. Is Daphne back? No. Daphne? No, Daphne. Daphne? Nope. The, the old man? <laughs> they didn't bring Dog, him Dog, dead. Right. The whole thing hung on Pierce. I know. It's going to be bad. What about Roz? You worked with Roz on Flock of Dudes. I did. Is Roz back? I don't I don't know if Roz is back. What the fuck is the show then? It's just Frazier back in Boston. I know that part. I know he's going back to Boston. <laughs> oh, is and he? it's uh, his kid. Is he looking for Miles? <laughs> Miles, our sponsor, our Patreon. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling to salads and See, I know you want it, Bob, to be a failure. It's going to be a failure. But imagine if it's not. Imagine if it hits hard and uh, Kelsey has the, the boom in his career that you dread the most. No, I'm, here's, the, here's the deal. I'm fine with him having that parallel move to another small screen. I just need oh, him to stay off screen. the big screen. If he ever made that jump, then I'd have to eat it. But until that day comes, <laughs> I think after the movie with the the wrestler uh, Edge, uh, I think you're <laughs> money safe plane, on that. money plane. I think <laughs> after money plane, you're probably safe. All right, anything else, Bob? Yeah, we also have to thank Matthew, our top tier Matthew, no, who I think uh, he messaged us because I guess uh, I misunderstood an email from him where I called him an Eagles fan and he was offended by that. Ah, so. wow. Yep. So there what you go. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you to everybody on Patreon.com/slash ThrowbackPod. And now we get a hair metal song to add to the playlist coming right after, what did we just do? Spring Break song, Outcast. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I don't one. give a fuck who's on that plane. <laughs> I'm the baddest motherfucker on the planet. I am Darius Grouch the Third, the Rumble, and I am taking down the money plane. Now bring me my money. Uh, please hold on. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> All right. The Grouch. We can't go wrong with this one. His last name is Grouch. That's amazing. <laughs> we, we really can't go wrong with this one. I think we finally have an opportunity. Oh, we have to go back to this. I just want to do more Darius Grouch the third to rumble. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, what what do you think? Throw out a couple of songs. All right. Let's see. What did we... Well, it should be... It only makes sense. It's one of the songs we both agreed on, I think. But So that would be uh, Talk Dirty to Me. That would be uh, Kiss Me Deadly. Um, we both had a Motley Crue song. We didn't get to Bob's other song. It was same old situation. Uh, another banger from the crew. Cherry Pie, obviously. Uh, that one's kind of sad. I don't want to do that one. <laughs> um, we could go in so many directions, Bob. I, I have one that I had in mind. What were you thinking? I was thinking of. Uh... Yeah. Think? yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right, let's do it. I should have interviewed him. You should have. That would have been great. You could have. I mean, I would have asked him about Rock of Love, season one, particularly. That was a good season of reality garbage. The best part of Rock of Love was when it got to whatever they referred to that, you know, that the suite, the honeymoon suite. Yeah. And then he's, you know, having sex with the girls. Right. And he's still wearing the bandana. Always. He had to because his <laughs> the, there. his hair was in the bandana. Like, that's what his hair was. Right. And what what would have been funnier, though? It was a Halloween costume. <laughs> what would have been funnier, though? The hair being attached to the bandana when it came off or to have, like, the Hulk Hogan bald with long hair as the sides and back? Oh. <laughs> what would have been more horrifying for the girls? I would say... I'd say, I'd say the Hogan. The Hogan, yes. Yeah, the Hogan would be the worst case scenario. Because if she, if he pulled out the bandana and the, the extensions were connected to the bandana, if he at least had like a neatly shaved bald head, it'd be like, oh, what the fuck? Right. Uh, but it wouldn't be like a pure horror show. <laughs> with like 
a two foot long mane of hair with nothing on Just the dome. Just so thin, <laughs> so straggly. Anyway, talk dirty to me by poison. Uh, oh, before we go, Bob, I had one other clip. Well, we're not really going. We're doing part two. We, I we're know, doing our power ballads. Dan. I know, but since we chose poison, Bob, um, I found I stumbled on one thing that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, we, as the age we are, we're so like connected to those behind the musics where like it was the band past their prime talking about the good old days. Right. I stumbled upon a poison MTV rockumentary from 1989. Wow. So this was poison imperial period and here's drummer ricky rocket um and we're gonna we're gonna say goodbye uh we're gonna play this and then play out um ricky rocket referring to the band's first album where they literally looked like women okay and in the macho world of rock uh, ricky rocket had to address it this aired in 1989 on mtv okay it did shock people you know what i'm saying and they were saying well this is a you know almost a uh an androgynous thing and I mean I mean let's face it genes on a girl is androgynous all the line androgynous becomes like to the gay side you know we're not a gay band we never were a gay band you know what I'm saying I, I mean, we're a rock band for God's sake you know we we're normal we like girls we're normal <laughs> we like girls uh, <laughs> all right Till uh, part two, where we hit the bells. Go fuck yourself. You know